The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. All righty, guys. Good evening. Good. Yay. How are you doing today? Uh, hold on a second. Let me get my... So uh, if, you, if I don't know you or you don't know me, now, my name is uh, Brent Sisson, and um, I'm the kids and uh, family pastor here. So I'm normally over there on a Wednesday night, but tonight I get to hang out with y'all and, um, and just uh, spend some time together in the Word. Uh, I am from Georgia, so if you need a translator, um, I don't know, see Robert Russell or something. He'll <laughs> so, um, well, hey, a couple things for you guys, uh, just in the, the way of announcements, is um, one thing is tonight is the last night in the Home Improvement Series. It's been a six-week series. I'll talk a little bit uh, more about that here in just a second, but next week, um, it is Valentine's Day, and so we're actually um, taking the night off, no kids ministry, no uh, service in here. In two weeks from tonight, we're starting a biblical theology series, and uh, that'll basically just go through the big picture of Scripture on February 21st, so that's one thing. Second thing I want to, um, and we're going to pray for this too, uh, right now, uh, Jeff and Sam and a couple of others from here, from Heritage, are on a plane. I'm a stalker of planes, and so I was looking on my little plane app earlier, and they're almost to Iceland right now. They're flying from here, from Seattle to Amsterdam, it's, which is a 10 and a half hour flight, have an hour and a half layover, and then they fly nine more hours to uh, somewhere, Rwanda, and then they have another hour and a half flight. I think I looked, it was like a 28-hour, from the time they took off here to the time they land, it's 28 hours. So uh, so anyway, we're going to pray for them as well. So so, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in uh, and uh, talk about legacy tonight, okay? So let's pray. God, uh, thank you uh, for your grace that's given to us, uh, um, for your glory. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. God, I pray, uh, Spirit of God, that you direct um, just your, the, the Word of God and, and the people of God through the Spirit of God. And, uh, and God, I pray um, for Jeff, Sam, Kathy, Andrew, as they're on a plane right now. And um, God, I pray for uh, the next just eight, nine days while they're there. God, I pray for deep, deep fruit that um, just produces overflow in your kingdom um, as they love on uh, pastors there, but also as they train and just encourage. God, I pray that your spirit be on that, and uh, even give them rest on the plane, which is probably one of the most hard, the hardest things in the world to do, but uh, even give them rest in that. And uh, God, thank you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Hey, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And so here's the thing. We're going to be talking about legacy tonight. Now, the thing with le- this topic, it is somewhat topical. And so there's not like one spot that we're going to be. In fact, we're going to be all over. But for the purposes of what we're going to be talking about tonight, the the linchpin ver- uh, passage I'm going to go to that we're going to end up at is Ephesians chapter 1. And so, so turn there. Um, and just as a reminder, if you're kind of You've been in and out over the past six weeks, or this is your first night um, back in a few months. We have been going through a a six-week series on, it's called Home Improvement. And the reason, just so you guys know from a pastoral heart, the reason we've been going through this and talking about this is, is we as pastors in our role, um, we in, here in our church, it's not just our church, it's churches nationwide, but um, just the people of God nationwide and, and just nationwide in general. But we, we see how homes, marriages in particular, are being attacked left and right. Um, we, we 
do that all the time. We, we have you know, meetings with, with uh, husbands and wives or, or individuals just um, dealing with these things. And so for us, we, as pastors, it's that thing, okay, what is our role in that? How can we come alongside of families? Even for me, as a, as a kid's pastor, my, for lack of a better term, my responsibility is over birth through fifth grade. And, and my heart is to come alongside and partner with families and moms and dads in that process to help them be faith trainers at home. But at the same time, what I'm learning, though, is if mom and dad are not in an okay spot, then you can do all the faith training you want. But if it's not happening within a context that's safe and, and loving and caring, then you're fighting an uphill battle. And so for us, it's like, hey, how can we come alongside, encourage marriages, and also just encourage you guys as, you're be, or as you are faith trainers at home, or if you're a single person or a grandparent, how can you do that in, in a, um, a God-honoring way? So that's our heart of that. We went through, you know, uh, Jeff started out the first one on covenants, and okay, here's, here's a biblical view of covenants, and here's how the marriage covenant comes into play in that. Um, and then uh, Sam taught through friendship, how to cultivate friendship in marriage with your kids, with others. Um, and then he also he talks about biblical roles in marriage, that the fact that this word right here lays out some very clear roles for husbands, for wives, for kids. Um, God has it laid out there. And then the past two weeks, Jeremy's talked about communication, how to communicate, um, and, and really God's heart for communication, how he's communicated to us, but then also how we communicate in, you know, in a marital relationship or in a work relationship or with our kids. Um, and then last week, he talked about sex and how God created that good thing right there, and, it was, and it's for the purpose of his glory in, in marriage. And so, and then tonight, we're ending up on this topic of legacy. And, and for me, um, you know, I always ask that question, okay, um, you know, for us as Americans, there's all these things that we think through in legacy, you know, and some of the biggest things that we think through a lot of times are money, property, stuff. Um, in fact, a couple of weeks, uh, about a couple months ago, my wife and I got a chance to attend a conference and they showed this video clip that we're going to show you that really just points home to a little bit to some of the things that we as Americans really are striving towards. So let's roll that uh, beautiful bean footage there. going to be a better life for all of us. We could put Annie and Josh into private schools. Annie goes to a great school, Jack. I'm talking about the best schools in the country here, Kate. Jack, what could you possibly be thinking about? What about my, what about my job? Well, I mean, this is New York City. It's like the needy people capital of the world. Your Jersey clients aren't a tenth as pathetic as the ones you could find here. <laughs> I, I, I can't even believe you're talking about moving back into the city, Jack. I thought the reason that we left was because we didn't want to raise the kids here. No. No, this is the center of the universe. If I were living in Roman times, I would live in Rome. Where else? And today, America is the Roman Empire. New York is Rome itself. John Lennon. Jack. Listen, okay, okay, you know something? I'm detecting, like, a funky tension here, and this was supposed to be a happy day. So guess what? I don't need this. We don't have to live here. Forget it. I'll commute. I'll drive to work. <gasps> in traffic, Jack, it's over an hour each way. That's like three hours every day. When are you ever going to see the kids? Kate, you're not understanding me. I'm talking about a perfect life, a great life. Everything we pictured when we were young, the whole package. You said so yourself. Life has thrown us a few surprises, so we made sacrifices. Well, guess what? Now I can finally get us back on track. I can do that, Kate. I want to do that. 
I, I need to do that as a man. All right. So the movie is Family Man. Uh, Nicholas Cage, and I should have given you this uh, ahead of time, but he essentially Nicholas Cage, he had went and bought this apartment um, in New York City for his wife for a new job. He didn't tell her anything about. And even he goes on to say, he says, uh, he said, hey, no more lousy restaurants, no more clipping coupons, no more shoveling snow. He says, we get to finally have a life that other people envy. And if you really encapsulate the American dream, it, in so many ways, it boils down to that. Um, and even for us, you know, as just as people in general, too, like when we think about legacy, we think through, okay, I want to be kind. Uh, even a few weeks ago, I was on an airplane, and God really ordained a situation. I got to sit next to a guy who had, he's from Minnesota. He was flying back to Minnesota uh, from, from Medford, and his, got to say goodbye to his dad in Grant's Pass. His dad was dying. I got to sit next to him and really just, you know, um, talk to him um, about the gospel and the hope in Jesus and I was like, and knowing I was teaching on this, I said, hey, I was like, what do you, tell me with your dad, what is the legacy that you're going to remember now that you're not going to see him anymore? He's like, he was kind. And I was like, that's a really good thing to remember. And, but for us as believers, is that the best? You know, I mean, do we just want to be remembered simply as a parent or, or a husband, a wife that's just kind? You know, and, and I'm grateful that he got to share that with me. But those are the questions we have to ask. And for me personally, this has been a personal thing that I, really God's been working in my heart through in the past couple of years. Um, for whatever reason, I've had the chance to be a part of officiating like six different funerals. I was counting it the other day. And one of them, including my own grandpa, we called him Peepaw, and uh, he, he, lived, he, he lives in Georgia, or he lived in Georgia. He died about two years ago. And, and for me, as I, as, you know, a funeral is a great place to really help you start thinking about life. And for me, I got, you know, I've, I've had the chance to do that, but even for my grandpa, for Peepaw, I got to officiate that funeral, stand over his grave, and, you know, officiate that and say to those people there, I was like, hey, this guy in the ground, his hope was in Jesus. And his hope was totally in Jesus because he shared that all the time. I can remember as a kid, him in church, I mean, he's loud. He clapped loud. And him like, you know, setting his hands up like, amen, you know, he's a good uh, you know, southern guy. And, but he knew Jesus, and he loved Jesus. And for me, like, it's made me think, okay, you know, what legacy do I want to live to my wife, to my kids? And I don't plan on dying anytime soon, but we are all going to be there at some point. And, you know, it's that thing of what do I want to be remembered by? Because the reality is we're all 100 years from now are not going to be here. And and the stuff that we have is likely is going to be in a, you know, a garbage pit somewhere. And, I mean, it's just the reality of that. And I know that's depressing, but it's reality. And so for us... You know, the thing tonight that I really want to hammer in on, and my goal tonight is to strongly challenge you to think biblically about leaving uh, your, legacy, uh, your legacy and not American. Think biblically, not American. And that's, that pushes us. That pushes us a little bit in our comfort zone and out of our comfort zone, hopefully. And so for tonight, the way, the way we're going to approach this um, is we're going to ask really two questions. We're going to ask, what is God's heart for your legacy? So for you, for your kids, your grandma, your aunt, your uncle, whomever, what is God's heart for our legacy? And then we're going to ask about, about practically, okay, how can we practically play that out in our own lives? 
And so first, what is God's heart for your legacy? And we're going to start at the very beginning. We're going to ask a few questions with this, but we're going to start at the very beginning. We're going to ask, why did God create man? And again, I'm going to flip up a bunch of verses. You don't have to turn there. They're going to be on the screen and everything. Uh, but the first thing is we're going to ask, why did God create man? So the first one is, is Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27, and it says, um, it says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. So God created male, female, he created us. So that's the beginning. But I, I want, what's the purpose of that? And, and I want to read you guys a quote from John Piper. And for some reason, John Piper has this amazing ability to say things that are super, super, you know, simple and just elaborate amazingly on them. And it take me five years to say this. Um, so he says, the point, and I'm going to read it slow because these are things that, that, this is you, this is me. It says, the point of an image is to image. Images are erected to display the original, to point to the original, glorify the original. I'll stop there. Like, I'm a, I'm a sports fan. Growing up, I'm a Braves fan. I'm from Georgia, go, uh, Braves, you know, all those things. And um, outside of uh, what used to be Turner Field, now it's not even Turner Field anymore, there's a Hank Aaron, um, Hank Aaron uh, statue. And now here's the thing. You, if you walk up to that statue or any statue, you don't say, man, that, rem-, you know, that just makes me think of, you know, Bill Clinton. I don't know why Bill Clinton's name. But, you know, you don't walk up to, you say, wow. That points me to Hank Aaron. He did a lot. He was a great baseball player. He was, you know, he had he did a lot of cool social things at that time. And so, but he, you know, that that I guess um, points to this fact right here. He says the point of an image is to image. Images are erected to display the original, to point to the original, glorify the original. He said God made humans in His image. So He made you, me, in His image. So that the world would be filled with reflectors of God, images of God, seven billion statues of God, so that nobody would miss the point of creation. Nobody, unless they were stone blind, could miss the point of humanity, namely God, knowing, loving, showing God. So he created you in his own image to reflect him. You are a reflection of him. That's the way he created us as humanity. And, and the thing I want to, um, you know, continually point out to this is it goes back to God. As we talk about this legacy thing, it goes back to God. And you're going to see that woven through uh, tonight. And so that brings us to the next question. Okay, so why did it, we know why he creates it, to be a reflector, to display an image of him. But why did, what, does God have a purpose for us, his people? Does God have a purpose for us, a specific biblical purpose? Because here's the thing. We all struggle at one time or another, have struggled, okay, what's my purpose in life? Like, I'm 16, is my job just to go to school and eat, you know, burritos all day? Or, you know, now I'm, I'm 30, is it my job to, you know, just work a job, come home, you know, wash dishes, eat, go to bed, and repeat, rinse, recycle, and just keep going? You know, we always struggle with that purpose, but what is God's biblical purpose? And so in this, we're going to go through a, a couple different, a little bit longer sections. One of them is going to be Isaiah 43. Now, let me give you some context to this. So this is uh, Isaiah really pro- prophesying to the Israelite people. The Israelite people, God would bless them, he, and then the Israelite people would 
you know, basically um, turn their backs on God, and God would call them back to repentance and all those things. And here's what he said in Isaiah 43, uh, verses 1 uh, through 7. Let me turn there as well while you guys get it up on the screen. And um, it says, it says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When, and, through the rivers, they shall not, and, yeah, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will, I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. And he says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So right there, he's pointing back to creation. Hey, I formed you and made, but there was a specific purpose. And if you're an underliner, you're going to see this woven through these passages. And I'll point out too, I'm just hitting the, the really the ice tip of this. There's so many more things uh, that point to this fact. But he, he says, whom I created for my glory. So God, does God have a purpose for people? Yes, his glory. We go to um, Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. And we, we're going to see how God is actually um, really jealous for his glory and jealous for his own name. And he says um, in 48, 9 through 11, he says, For my name's sake, so this is God talking, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, my own sake, I do it. For how should my, uh, my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. You guys catching a little pattern there? He's like, for my name's sake. And he's even in verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake. This is God. Like God is jealous for his own glory. He's jealous for his own glory. So when we talk about does God have a purpose for his people? Yes, we're starting to see a pattern of his himself. He, he has a purpose for his people, him. And then this is where Ephesians 1, and this is, so if we looked in the Old Testament, you know, there's a couple of things that point to that. There's many more, I promise. But it really, the, the pinnacle of it is what we're going to look at right here in Ephesians 1. And you're going to see it, and, and if, again, if you're an underliner in your, in your Bible, then underline some of these things right here. This is going to be Ephesians 1. Uh, we're going to read 3 through 14. It's not going to be on the screen here, but we're going to read it. Let me drink some water. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul speaking who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. I'll stop there. By the way, this passage is right here is talking a lot about predestination. We're not going into that discussion tonight, but it's there. Deal with it. Um, but he says, in, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Underline this, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we see right there he, that he gave, basically, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus to the praise of his glorious grace. 
So even Jesus, and we're going to read some more of this, and you think of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did that through Jesus to the praise of his glorious grace so that we would turn around and say, God, your grace is amazing, it's glorious, it's awesome. And he said, and then he goes on. He says, in him, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and uh, things on earth. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Underline that right there, to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." That's the pinnacle of like the word right there is that Jesus came. God was God sent Jesus, you know, for us to ransom us to redeem us, but with another motive in so many ways to the praise of His glory, to the praise of God's glory right there. So from the beginning, in God before we existed, God's design was to get the praise for His glorious grace, and He did it through His Son Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. He accomplished the praise of his glorious grace. And so, and, and, and the, re, the reality is, for us, like if you think about it, this is why we, do, we go, like to spread the name of Jesus. Even this past Sunday, uh, Jeff was talking about how just some of the things that we as leadership are wrestling through as a church of how can we be on moral mission um, for the gospel and how can we, you know, get outside of just doing church and actually do it on purpose, do it very purposefully. And, and the reason is because Scripture points us to do that, to go and, and to spread the name of Jesus and so that every person has a chance to respond to this glorious grace so that they can turn around and say, God, your grace is amazing. And we, we see this in uh, Psalm 96, 1 through 3. Uh, Psalm 96, 1 through, uh, through 3. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. We are to be not like a microscope where a microscope actually looks down on something really small and makes it bigger. We're to look at, you know, like a telescope. We look through it and we see God's glorious, amazing grace and we're like, oh, that's enormous. That's amazing. Like, I need to go tell that. I need to go tell that to everyone. And so that his, we, people can worship his glorious grace. Even like with Jeff, he was talking about that 100, here in Jackson County, people by their own admission, 171,000 people in Jackson County proclaim no, you know, they don't follow Jesus. 171,000. That's a big deal. Worldwide. There's seven, nearly seven and a half billion people in the world right now, and somewhere around three million of them are, are not three million, three billion of them are what we would call unreached. That means they have little or no access to the gospel. So they don't even have the chance to respond. And 
if what we believe is true, that, that salvation comes through Jesus, then we've got work to do. We've got work to do so that they can turn around and praise, you know, praise God because God has saved them through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and the reality is, is, um, is it sound, that sounds kind of, I mean, if you process through that, and um, this is some, an idea that I never really thought of until, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. And I was, I was watching a, a guy named David Platt. He was talking about this. And he said right here, he says, if we're going to mobilize the local churches we're a part of for the accomplishment of the Great Commission, which is going to all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he says, we must give the people we lead a glimpse of a God-centered God. And he says, a God who lives to exalt himself. Think of that, a God who loves to exalt himself. He says, now to some that rubs people wrong, God's self-centered. God lives to exalt himself. He says, if that rubs you wrong, I would ask you the following question. Who else would you have him exalt? You, me, your kids, your grandma, your grandpa, I mean, your dog? (laughs) I mean, who? I mean, you know, certainly not a cat, you know, but as as if you and I were at the center of God's universe. You know, it's that, like, we're not the center of God's universe. It says, you are not at the center of God's universe. I'm not at the center of God's universe. God is at the center of his universe. Everything he does ultimately revolves around himself. Remember, to the praise of his glorious grace, for his glory. He says, everything he does ultimately revolves around himself. And if he were to exalt, to, to exalt someone or something else, he would no longer be the God who is worthy of all exaltation. And he is. And we see this passion for his own glory in the nations from cover to cover in Scripture. And that's why, like, even for us uh, in the kids' ministry, like, every month we have an unreached people group that we try to get in front of kids that, hey, this people group, like, this, this month is the Kim Moon people of uh, Vietnam. And I think there's, like, 210,000 people of them, and there's only 2,000 believers. The rest are, like, animistic worshipers of ancestors and um, any number of things, and then 10% of them are Buddhists. And we want to get that in front of people and kids and, and families so that you guys know that, hey, this, this gospel is not, there's work, tons of work yet to be done. And that's why we go, even if it, you know, requires, you know, for God help, you know, us losing our lives. Guess what? We get Jesus. <laughs> and uh, one of the greatest stories I've ever heard, and I wish I could remember the name of this guy, but I, and, it's, and it sounds so sadistic in some way, but I, there's, a, um, there's a story of, of a guy, he was in a spot where he was telling the gospel, and they decided to basically, like, we're going to axe off your head. And his wife, he's, he's going to his, to be, you know, his head lopped off, you know, his wife is clapping, and then he's saying, you know, you may lop off my head today, but he said something to the effect, like, today I get to see my Savior. Like, that is the heart of the gospel right there, of like, go into the hardest places even, you know, to tell the, the gospel of Jesus. Because his glorious grace is worth it, and because his glory is worth it. And so when we talk about this thing of legacy, God's heart for legacy is himself, for us to be a part of that mission of proclaiming him right there. Whew, that'll get you worked up right there. And, um, but, then, and so, but at the same time, like, as I was thinking through that, because, you know, here in, in Christianese culture and in, in the Christian bubble that we live in, we, you know, 
like if someone's going through a tough time, you know, the, the Christianese things to say is like, well, you know, God's, God's right there with you. He's, he's, he's working for your good. Isn't that the case? And I would say, yes, it is. But it's different from the way we think about it. Even uh, Romans 8, 28 through 29, which uh, so many of us know, he says, um, he says, um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And in verse 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the first born among many brothers. Did you get that though? Like, the, the, the good he does in your life is to conform you to the image of Jesus. It's not for you, you know, so that you can have the biggest house or the nicest vehicle or the biggest 401k or whatever it is. It's to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, and that's a tough thing. Like a few weeks ago, I, was, I, I bought a used truck. I was like, God, I want the nicest used truck you can find, you know. I mean, I was like even, I, I had like my Craigslist, Craigslist settings to Seattle, Boise, San Francisco. I mean, I was like, I'm ready, to, I'm willing to go, you know. And I, find some, I, I did find something nice, you know, and then got back and I realized it had like $1,000 worth of problems to it that I had to get fixed <laughs> and all those things. But I, like even in that, I felt like, I was like, okay, God, I know this is silly in comparison to, <laughs> to people losing their lives today or any number of things. You know, and and, I, and that's, those are good things to struggle through for us as Americans. Those are really good things to struggle through. But guess what? God uses the afflictions in your life to conform you to the image of your son, Jesus. He, he uses, whether it be any, you know, sickness, um, hardships, you know, financial hardships, um, the loss of loved ones, any number of those things for your good, but your good is the image of Jesus. And it's not your good the way that Americans would think of it and say, ah, oh, that guy's blessed. I don't want to be blessed the way Americans think of it. Like, yes, does it seem nice? And yes, do I crave that security in some ways? Yeah, I, those are things I fight. And those are the temptations I fight and that I struggle through um, for my own family, for myself. But at the end of the day, God's glory, gets glory when I'm conformed to the image of Jesus, not me, or anything else right there. And so, does, you know, as we think about that, God's heart's for his legacy, doesn't that fly in the face of the American culture in every way possible? And that's what I'm asking you guys, to think biblically, not think American. You know, don't think American like that, because God desires you to be biblical not, you know, not an American, you know, dream. He wants the biblical dream for your heart, for your life. So, so we, we, we know that God has glory. You know, he wants his glorious grace to be proclaimed in our legacy in, in every way possible. So let's talk about some of the practical ways. So what are some of the practical ways to make his glory practically play out in your life. And by the way, this is where, like, some, um, I talk about this to the guys on staff sometimes. Like, I, as far as the theological, philosophical stuff, I enjoy that stuff. Like, I, I'm always the guy that's like, okay, get to the practical, get to the practical. That's just the way I think. I'm like, give me a checklist. Give me, you know, give me the stuff to, to think through. And, and um, but the reality is, is the practical things have to be built off of biblical realities and biblical philosophical deepness right there and that's and that's the deep the depth of it is like god wants his glorious grace to be proclaimed so how do we make that um, play out whether we're single 
whether we're grandparents, whether we're married, you know, with kids, without any number, wherever you fall in that, how, how can, what are some practical things we can think through in that? First, um, one thing I would encourage you guys is um, a healthy dose of self-awareness is good. Like to sit down and say, okay, let me really process through my life. Like, what am I doing right now? Because, and, and for any number of you guys, like that can go all the way from, you know, single working full-time job to a stay-at-home mom who's, you know, feels like every day is Groundhog Day and it's like, oh, the same thing, just, you know, a different way today. Um, but really having the self-awareness to say, hey, what in my life is lining up with, with this fact that God wants his glorious grace to be proclaimed through me, through my family, through my marriage? Like, what's going well with that? What's not going well? I would encourage each one of you to really process through that because that's the first, you know, the thing I'm going to say a couple times in here is intentionality. Like, you guys know that if you're not intentional about something, it's just not going to happen. Um, the reality is, like, if you say, yeah, I think I want to go run a half marathon, and you run two miles before race day, guess what? You were not intentional. Have fun running 13.1 after running two miles grand total before that. Like, you're, you, there is, intentionality is there for a reason, to, to get you to a desired goal. And if our desired goal is to, you know, proclaim God's glory to where, to, you know, to the people around us or to the farthest places, be intentional about that. Um, one, uh, next, I would say the, one of the biggest things is, is reminding yourself of the gospel constantly. Remind yourself of the gospel constantly. Here, here's what I'll say. That's probably been, the, in the past couple of months, that's probably been one of the biggest things in my life. And it's not every day is not perfect like that, where I'm like, hey, that, I just reminded myself of the gospel, you know, over and over and over. I mean, it just doesn't happen like that. But reminding yourself of the fact that, you know, Jesus lived a life that I could never live. He died the death that, you know, I fully deserve. You know, he rose the life. He lives. And, and then now as we as followers of Jesus, we get to proverbially, one day when you know, we stand before him, we get to proverbially hand Jesus' resume to God the Father and say, there was nothing within my own power that I could do, but this is, this is Jesus. You know, Jesus is my only thing. He's my, my only hope and my only righteousness. But also, day to day, we get to hand that same resume to the enemy. Because the reality is, is we all are getting, you know, we face different attacks of any number of ways, of, of feelings of like, am I good enough? Am I worth enough? You know, all those different things. And we get to hand that resume and like, okay, enemy, guess what? Jesus has got this, so get lost. I mean, whatever. Hand that resume to him. Of, and those are gospel reminders. Constantly, constantly do that because otherwise your mind ends up in a bad place. And I can speak from that from a, you know, just from some of the struggles that I've been through. Like there, um, especially over the past, I don't know, 15 years or so, I kind of weave in out of depression. And some of it's biological, some of it's things that I really struggle with. And, and, but the biggest thing in that is my thought process, my thought patterns. And like when, like the times that I get most down and depressed are the times when my thought patterns are off. Rem gospel reminders really, you know, hit that hard. They hit that hard right there. Um, you know, and then also seek clear ways to be on mission for this gospel truth. You know, seek very clear ways uh, to be on that, uh, the, the mission. Um, you know, look for ways that you're gifted. Like for me, I, I struggled, struggled. Man, my wife, like there were some days I'd come home and be like, I don't know if I want to be, a, and this was 
when I was in North Carolina, I was a middle and high school pastor for five years. And there were a couple of years where I was like, okay, do I really want to be in ministry the rest of my life? Uh, you know, people are difficult sometimes. Middle and high schoolers are really difficult even more sometimes somehow. I don't understand how that happens sometimes. They can be a real big blessing, though. Um, and, you know, parents were tough sometimes. I mean, it was, and there was days, like I would, like I remember calling my mentor um, and be like, hey, you encouraged me to go into ministry. What were you thinking? You know, <laughs> I mean, stuff like that. I mean, but, and I really, pro- I mean, I took probably five different personality profiles. Like, okay, so this personality profile says I would be good at this. Okay, I'd be good at maybe an accountant. All right, I'm not going about to get my CPA license, so forget that one. You know, I mean, I would just go down the line. And God just continually, you know, through that process, though, like of really churning through that, God really confirmed a lot of things in my heart and my trajectory. And, and here's the, the thing, too, is like we get, so, you, we get so caught up on the answer of like, God, what do you want to do in my life? Like, I don't feel like I'm gifted in anything. I don't know what my giftedness is. And we want the answer now. God's a lot of times is more glorified in the process than the answer. Like, because in that process, he, he really, you know, does a work in our heart. And I can say that is the total truth. So seek clear ways to be on mission. Look at ways you're gifted and use those gifts. And also use any platform you have right now to love people deeply. Share your God story with people. Like, that's an incredible, incredible way. Like, the people that you're around day in and day out. Um, yes, can you do point people to Jesus and to his glorious grace through your actions? Absolutely. But you've got to use words. The gospel is told by words as well. And I encourage you guys to do that. And at the end of the day, do something. You know, I mean, there, I, I, I really believe that so many people get stuck and like, I don't know what I'm like. I don't feel like I have a purpose. I'm, I'm purposeless. And, they, and it's just kind of that thing of the, um, the paralysis of analysis. You know, at the end of the day, just do something. And then you start learning, hey, man, okay, I'm not good at that. But I, was, I felt good at that, and I felt like God was using me in that. Do something. Um, and, and again, just be intentional in your life. Um, be very intentional. One of my, um, I'm not, I was, uh, was not going to read the whole poem, and I'm not, because it's a long one. But there's an um, there's a old theologian, his name's C.T. Studd. It's got to be the best name ever. And uh, I want to change my name to Brent Studd or something, just for the fun of it. But he said, you know, his, the end of his uh, line, the ending line of his poem is, he says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I like that, because at the end of the day, you know, I can, I can work, I can work hard, make lots of money, or not make lots of money, or whatever, you know, the, the thing is, but if it's not done for Christ, then I leave this earth, and the only thing I have to pass on is maybe some physical, you know, property, some wealth, and biblically, there's some proverbs that talk about, you know, a, a good man leaves, you know, wealth to his, the people after him, but guess what? I want to leave spiritual, spiritual just depth to my family. And those are things I struggle with, like I struggle with and doing, but I know that that's my heart right there. And then here's the thing is, is I was processing through this too, is like, okay, well, you know, for so many of us, we feel like, hey, I've messed up big time. There's no way now. How could I do that? Um, you know, and the thing is, is, I say start today. And I really, I mean, and that sounds colloquial, but I, just start today. Um, one of my favorite stories of that, um, it kind of came out of the fruit of, of when I was in North Carolina. So um, even going back to my childhood, one of the things that my dad, and he still does it to today, like he used to love watching fishing shows. 
and or fishing, as we say in the South. And we would sit down and watch fishing or hunting shows all the time. And there was this one guy, his name's Hank Parker. And um, Hank Parker, um, and he's got a son named Hank Parker Jr. and everything now. And, um, and so we watched, literally we watched hours of fishing of Hank Parker. And I was like, I loved it. And then we get to North Carolina, the pastor at our church, his wife is Hank Parker's sister. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. I know you're, you know, and it's kind of that thing of like, hey, can I meet him? Can I go fishing with him? <laughs> you know, all those things. It never happened. My dad got to go fishing with him. But, um, and so all that to say, though, I didn't, you know, watching him growing up, I didn't know his story. And, um, but then I got to hear his um, sister tell a lot of the story. Uh, her name is Nene, great name. And, um, and so her name is Nene, and she got to tell the story of how her dad was an alcoholic, like his, the whole childhood growing up. Nene came to Christ, when, if I remember, when she was young. But her brothers, Hank, and their other brother, David, who went to our church in North Carolina as well, they, they didn't. And, but they just knew this alcoholic father who was always mean, always really distant. Well, fast forward, when he was later in life, I don't know, 50s, I'm guessing, he gave his life to Christ. And God really just turned his life around. He dropped, he didn't drink a drip, a drip of alcohol after that. And um, he's, he was done with it. And God really radically changed his life. And then five years after that, he's going on a mission trip and, uh, to Kansas from North Carolina. If I remember correctly, they're coming back and the, the van flips and um, their father um, dies in this, um, this car wreck. And so all that, I heard that story, and I was like, wow, that's, that's you know, really sad. And then just a couple of months ago, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to is called Family Life Today. It's a really good, like if you're looking for ways to equip your marriage, your family, it's a really, really deep podcast in that way. And I was listening to it, Hank Parker is on there. And uh, one of the things that Dennis Rainey, one of the announcers, he asks people to do sometimes, he's like, hey, I want you to you know, write a tribute to your dad or your mom, and I want you to read it to them you know, while they're right there. And you can imagine just the power of that, the emotion of that. And, um, and, but obviously, Hank's dad's not there. And so he asked him, he's like, I want you to you know, re- t- give him a tribute right now. And, um, and we've actually got it playing just for, it's about a minute and a half, so let's listen to that. And reading it to him face to face. But I think what I'd like to do is if I had the ability to seat your dad right now across the table from you, and I, I said, Hank, I want you to turn to your dad right now and give him a tribute, not for the years that were wasted, but for how he redeemed ultimately what he was given when he placed his faith in Christ and, and turned away from alcoholism and um, not being much of a father or, or husband or citizen and became God's man. Could you give him a tribute? I could. I sure could. I, I, I would say to my dad, Dad, I, uh, I know you were bogged down with, and shackled by an addiction that you didn't want to be. And when you had the chance, you accepted Jesus Christ and you turned your life around and you cared more about my soul than you cared about anything else, me and my brother. And I'm so grateful to you that you prioritized our salvation above yourself, above anything that you wanted in this whole world. 
And I thank you so much for living the life those five years, for living the life, having the attitude, the spirit, and being patient with me. I thank you that you loved me enough, you prayed for me, you were patient, and you were so incredibly persistent. You never let up, man. And I'm so grateful, Dad. I would not be the man I am, and I would have no hope. I was destined for hell. I had a bad attitude. You knew it all, Dad. But you loved me enough. You stuck with me. And I've got two great fathers that I'll spend eternity with. And I thank you, and I love you, and you're awesome. I don't... That's, uh, see, that that's a story of a five years, you know, uh, really of life wasted, but five years. He started that day... And he pointed, you know, his family to Jesus. And like, I, I mean, David, one of Hank's brother, like he was one of the uh, elders, deacons at our church. Like he loved the Lord. Um, I mean, so you see the fruit of that. And so even if you're like, hey, I'm just, I've screwed this up so far. Like start today. It, I mean, it really is. It, it is a start today thing for you to change the trajectory of your legacy so that it points glory to God's grace right there. Um, a few things, a few practical things I want to give. I want to give some uh, admonitions to some to singles, maybe some grandparents for marriages and for kids, and then we'll be done. Um, uh, one thing, I, I mean, if you're single and you're like, hey, I don't have kids, maybe I, I'm here, you know, what, you know, what, how can I accomplish that? One thing, as I say, is you have a unique ability that even biblically, um, Paul points out that married uh, couples don't. And, you, you know, you have the ability to focus more of your time on serving others and pointing others. I have to say be intentional about that. Like even Paul, he said that he's like, I wish people were, you know, basically not married as I am. And, but, you know, then he gives all these admonitions for married people. Like singles, you have a, a different, a, a, it's different. And it's just different ability to you leverage your time and your energy and your resources than married couples do. Like, I'm married, I have, I have things to consider for my wife, for my kids. She has the same thing for me. And so I would, in, I would encourage you as singles in that. Uh, grandparents, or, or maybe those are later in life, I just say it's not over. There's this American mentality of, like, I'm going to finish my life on the golf course or on the whatever. And, like, you have such a valuable place, especially, I mean, if you've got grandkids to speak spiritual truth into your life, like, as I look back over my, my peepaw and my meemaw, um, that's lovely, uh, I don't know if those are southern grandparent names, but that's what it is, what it is. Like, they pointed me to Jesus, and they still do. Like, I talked to my, my meemaw, and she, you can tell me, she's like, well, we're here for the, you know, but for the glory of the Lord, you know, and I'm like, and she's in her mid-80s, you know, and I'm like, you know, she's four foot seven, I don't even, if even that, you know, and, but, you know, maybe 70 pounds, <laughs> And, you know, it's, it, it's still to now. Like, she's imparting to me, you know, spiritual legacy through that. And um, I'd say, grandparents, you, it's not over. Like, you have so much, so, so much to give. Like, serve the Lord until you're ready to, you know, meet the Savior. How great it is to, you know, be serving the Savior one day, the next to be in front of Him face to face. Like, that's, that is, that flies in the face of the American dream. And it flies in the face of every golf course in America. And I'm telling you, like, be on mission. There's nothing wrong with golfing. I love putt-putt, but, and I'm not great at golf, but, like, be on mission for that. Um, and then I'd say for marriages, 
I know there's some things that I've already been said over the past few weeks, and I'll probably restate some of those. But I would say, and Sam, I remember Sam pointing this out really uh, specifically. He said, you know, God has placed you together to be on mission together, um, for, you know, to be on mission for the, for the gospel and communicate clearly about that. And like, hey, how can we better utilize our resources, our time, our energy, so that that happens in our marriage? Um, and I say husbands, and this is coming from my mentor, Ken Jones. He married me. He discipled me. He married me and my wife. And he, always, he told me in his best Ken Jones voice, he's like, Brent, he's like, the best thing you can do is, you know, is, uh, for your family is to love the Lord first and isn't to love your wife second. And I'm, I'm not great at that. Like there's days I fell miserably at that. But he, he communicated that. And then the same thing for wives, best thing you can do is to love the Lord first and then love your husband second in that. Um, practically from this series, you know, just coming through the past five weeks, you know, take your marital vows seriously. Um, throw out the D word from your vocabulary. Throw out divorce from your vocabulary. And God hates it. I want to be very clear about that. And, and he hates it desperately. But, and God redeems that, though. But at the same time, he hates it. And throw that out of your vocabulary. Um, because that is, it really is, it's hampering so many marriages. Like, how can you feel safe in a thing where divorce is, like, continually, you know, threatened? Like, throw it out the window right there. Uh, look to build deeper friendship in your marriage. Like, always cons- consistently be looking for deeper ways to, to deepen your friendship in your marriage. Seek to honor the uh, God-given roles laid out in the Word. Um, to get husbands, you know, loving your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives, you know, respecting your husbands. Those are God-given roles, and that's very, very, you know, surface level, even more so. There's very deep biblical roles that God's laid out in his word. I, um, communicate often and, and with deep love and respect for each other. Communicate very clearly, but with love and respect for each other. Not trying to win an argument, but just, you know, and I'm not, I, I like to win. But, the, you know, the reality is, is uh, like my thing is to understand and, and, and like trying to understand and, and communicate often about that. Um, you know, going off sex, honor your marriage bed frequently, passionately, and seek deep, honest accountability when you're defiling it. God's place that there is a blessing, as an as an incredible blessing for your marriage. Like, look for ways to um, to deepen that area. And then one of the things I would encourage you guys as well. This is kind of coming maybe from my own heart, and but also just seeing this in different uh, marriages. But I would just say, swallow your pride and seek help when areas are off. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. Um, the reality is, you know, seek wisdom, read books, listen to podcasts, visit a counselor. Those are really wise things to do. And a lot of times the biggest thing that stands in front of someone doing that you know, so that they can become better equipped to be a better wife or a better husband is pride. It's like, no, I don't need that, or I'll figure it out. Like, swallow your pride. Like, that pride becomes before the fall. Like, there's a reason that that uh, principle plays out. And, um, you know, sometimes you need help. Like, there have been multiple times, you know, in, in just in my marriage and or just in my personal life, I'm like, you know, I just need help. I just need some, a third party who's there for my help to speak truth and life into to me. Um, with kids, you know, the, um, if, you know, for those that have kids, you know, the best thing you can do is love the Lord first and then your spouse second and then your kids third in that order right there. And that's a, that flies in the face of so many American homes. But love the Lord first, 
Um, love your spouse second and then your kids. Um, even, and I'm going to read a couple of verses just to uh, point out some script, scriptural things. Uh, one's Deuteronomy 6. This is the Jewish Shema. Um, and it's, uh, it says, uh, chapter 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And that's intentionality right there. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's deep intentionality right there. Like, that's that thing of, like, it becoming an all-encompassing thing in your house, like, talking about uh, the Lord. Even Psalm 78.4, um, I'm going to flip over there and read that. It'll be on the screen. It says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The wonders that he has done. Communicating that from generation to generation. Um, as, as families, I, I encourage you, be faithful and doing faith talks, you know, devotions, whatever you want to call it, but be intentional about that. It doesn't have to look like you, you know, someone sitting around strumming the guitar, and then you know, kids are you know, hands waving, waving in the hair. In my uh, my house, it would look like hands, you know, beating their brother on the head, something like that. It just ain't happening right now. And but you know, being intentional about talking about those things, whether it be around the kitchen table, um, whether it be around you know, bedtime. Bedtimes are a great time because you've really got their hard in so many ways. Um, be faithful in those. Uh, seek to capitalize on God moments. Um, and what I mean by that, uh, th- those are those moments that where you're like, man, God did something there. I mean, if it's driving down the road and you see a sunset, it's like, guys, God did that. And or if, I mean, the bad, like someone passes away or uh, an animal passes away. Like, those are great things to talk about, those things of, hey, you know, the reality is, is we're we're not always here, and, and, you know, and even little Fido right here, you know, he, he doesn't have a spirit like, or a soul like we do, you know, and those are great teaching, teachable moments right there. Take advantage of those things consistently right there. Um, you know, seek to speak to your kid's heart and not to the behavior. Um, I've got three boys. It is so easy to speak to behavior all the time because it's always <laughs> happening. It's like, don't hit your brother. Don't kick him in the knee. You know, stop hitting him with a baseball bat. You know, something like that. And, but the reality is, is if I always speak to their behavior, then when they do, you know, when they do get the behavior right, I may have lost their heart in the process. Speak to their heart. Speak to their heart. Um, and, and also include them on the mission, um, spreading the glory of God. Like, include them on that, that mission right there. And then also I'd say watch out for the good things, the quote-unquote good things that want to pull you away from the best. Um, we live in a culture where, you know, sports is king. Social things are king. School can be king. Like, I would say watch that with, a, like, a hawk. I, I, like, so many families are run by their kids' schedules instead of their parents. And, like, and what's going to be an environment for the marriage to, to function the best Instead, they ask, okay, what's going to be best for my kid? I'd say, ask what's best for your marriage first, <laughs> and then go down to, okay, kids, you know, because of this, we're going to not do this, but we're going to do this, or, you know, but you want to encourage those things, um, those, and the, the good things are not bad, you know, I mean, sports is not bad, social things are not bad, school's not bad, but at the end of the day, if they're taking up all your time and energy, then there's a problem. 
It really is. Um, and, and then also one thing, I, uh, I heard this a couple months ago, and it's a, that thing of, you may have heard the statistic, like 60 to 70% of kids leave the faith after graduating high school. Um, and uh, the thing I heard about that is like, there's even studies now that's even pointing to the fact that it even began long before they graduated high school. And a lot of times it's because even in Christian homes, they're still grow, their kids are still growing up very secular. Like, they're still growing up in a secular mindset, like, you know, in a very kid-citric home, and, and so it's all about them, and then so the kids, are, their hearts are long, you know, past uh, following Jesus, and so when they get to college, now they just get a chance to act on it. Like, I'd say grab your heart, you know, the, the heart of your kid, you know, and, and impart spiritual truths to them now, and love on them, even if, you know, even if they're graduating high school in three months. You know, like, there's a great time to say, hey, here's what God's doing in my life. And, may, you know, I may not always been good at this, and I need forgiveness. But, like, use those times to point to the gospel. And then, finally, and I'm done, I want you guys to begin with the end in mind. I want, you, I want to take you to Revelation uh, chapter 7, and then uh, Revelation chapter 21. It'll be on the screen. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is in heaven, some level. There is going to be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue standing before. You're going to be touching elbows with Ugandans and with Chinese people and with Burmese people and people from every tribe and nation. And you're going to be worshiping the Lord together. Like, and, and two things to point out about that, it, even in heaven, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and then it should encourage us to continually be on that mission to go to the farthest places and the nearest places. And then Revelation 21, uh, 22 to 24, this is the new heaven on the new earth. And he says, uh, John said, I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will even be shut by day, and there will be no more night there. There's no more night there because God's glory is the radiance, the light that lights that up. Like, it, even, I mean, in heaven for eternity and eternity, it's still going to be about God's glory. Get on mission with that now, and, not, and, and don't waste your life away um, doing frivolous things that will ultimately fail. And so I want to encourage you guys that. Let's pray together. Uh, God, I pray uh, for these people here. God, I pray um, for hearts of legacy to be about Jesus and to be about Jesus' glorious grace and to the glory of you, God the Father, um, so that you may be told to the farthest places, to the nearest places, so that one day when we stand before the throne, we would see the, some of just the, the evidences of the legacy that we live for the glory of God and the people that will be standing before that throne. God, I pray for legacies of Jesus in this room. And uh, God, I pray that you would begin that in the hearts of moms, of single moms, of, of single people, grandparents, of stay-at-home moms, of, of working hard dads, and anything in between. God, I pray that that would be on their hearts. God, I pray for homes that would be about for the glory of Jesus and not for the glory of, of man or kids or anything. They'd be about the glory of Jesus. 
God, I pray your spirit would enable the people to do that. You would work through and convict of sin when it's not. Convict that in my life, God, and make us about the glory of Jesus. And we love you. Make us our church about that as well, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, thank you so much. Have a great night.